Hello everyone, it's Friday the 9th of October and welcome to episode 26 of the Kite Podcast 2020 with me, Will Evans. And me, Ben Eagle. Now, a few weeks ago, we recorded a podcast about Brexit with Rachel and John and our esteemed producer, Becky, promised us after that episode that there would be much, much more to come as we steamroll ahead to Brexit today on the 31st of December. With this in mind, today is the first of our Brexit focus sessions, and today we're talking Brexit and Labour. Don't ever say that we don't treat you on a Friday, dear listeners. To do this, we're joined once again by Rachel Maidley-Davis, who is a consultant for Kite based in Wales. We're also joined by dairy farmer Henry Lewis, and as always, everybody's favourite dairy market analyst, Chris Walkland. Chris, let's go over to you in traditional style for your weekly milk market updates. And where are you this week? Well, I'm on holiday in Cow County this morning being a grockle, and that means I'm a nuisance, even more of a nuisance (laughs) than normal, Becky, hey? As everyone knows, Cow County is Devon, which has more dairy cows in it than any other county in the UK. And I thought about going to Cornwall for my holly bogs, but apparently when you cross the Tamar Bridge, you've got to self-isolate for two weeks, even when there isn't a pandemic. Now, there is one, it's double the quarantine. And I haven't been to Devon for ages, and frankly, I'm amazed. That's because I've been listening to the environmentalists banging on about ruminants ruining the planet. And with all these cows, I thought Devon would be an uninhabitable, desolate, barren wasteland. Something like a a scene out of Mad Max film or something. Now, clearly, parts of Devon are uninhabitable, desolate and barren wastelands, unless you're a pony. But the rest of it is stunning. Beautifully green, amazingly green, apart from the bits underwater, and that's quite a lot. And if cows are killing the planet, they don't seem to be doing Devon much harm. But what of the world outside of this idyllic, thriving, unspoilt, ruminant-filled land? Well, the market has had a decent week, I'd say, especially when set against a backdrop of significant negativity that some market watchers are forecasting. On the positive side, the GDT was up again, not by much, 2% or so, but this added to the 3.6% of the previous auction. Powders were up a bit, butter was up a lot, and I know two swallows don't make a summer and two positive auctions don't turn a market, but we'll take those two GDT increases. On my calculations, the commodities convert into a price of around 27p. In Europe, land butter is stable to slightly firming, if anything, but only slightly, at around 3,300 to 3,400 euros. Uh, French butter tumbled nearly 200 euros this week, but it was miles ahead of the real market for some reason, so a drop wasn't unexpected. And last week, uh, French whole milk powder dropped back 150 euros. I said that was a fluke, far too much for reality. This week it's back up, so it's regained some ground as expected. And skim powder continues to increase slowly and steadily, up a decent 30 euros this week. So that's moving in the right direction. And just like the uh, GDT uh, in Europe, butter and skim are also returning 27p. The futures, after a couple of weeks of declines, they're back up again for butter, uh, which is good news. But we don't have the target 3,500 on the board just yet. 
north to three uh, 2300 euros for skim but it is getting closer next year and again reflecting those prices in the milk price puts us at 26 and a half to 27p so everything's pointing to that sort of level but i'd expect some uk processes to get a premium over that price so it's okay it's not brilliant maybe but it's okay in the uk cream is still stable at 160 that's a decent price in this market i'd say uh, but the eu again is driving things spot milk again is 30 to 32p again a pretty good price and there's no weakening of cheese in fact that still looks strong and stable so that's it I'm off to do a bit more grockling and annoying of the locals around this fabulous dairy county. And I might even sample some of the wares with a Devon cream tea as well. It certainly beats those imposter pasties from across the border. Anyway, all the best. Goodbye. Thank you, Chris. It's nice to hear that you've, you've still been keeping your eyes on the dairy market, even when you're on holiday. Clearly your wife has had a brilliant to it. Brilliant. I know. I wouldn't, I wouldn't <laughs> want to let my listener down. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thank you very much, Henry. Um, yeah. Welcome to the show. Um, Hi, can you tell us about your business and why the Brexit and Labour topic is important for you? Right, Ben. Um, we're running um, a dairy farm here in rural Herefordshire. In my opinion, nicer than Devon. Um, <laughs> employing a mixture of Eastern Europeans and UK, mostly UK, about 30% of the workforce would be um, Eastern Europeans. Um, three times a day milking, just under 900 cows. Brilliant. And uh, so the labour topic specifically, um, Rachel, I'm going to turn to you um, because we talked about a, a whole range of Brexit topics last time, um, but we touched briefly on labour. Can you give us your Brexit update now, um, perhaps particularly in regards to workers? Um, it, it seems unbelievable. I think it's three weeks have passed since we last talked about this. What is the update? Um, I suppose the update really is that there is no update. So unfortunately, we're sort of no clearer or no closer to a deal, or that's that's the messages that are coming out. Um, that sort of deadline, Boris's deadline on the 15th is creeping ever more closely. It's next week. Um, so to say the pressure on is an understatement now. So that's the sort of in terms of trade deal where we're at. Um, I think, as I said last time, there is more to Brexit than a trade deal. Um, and actually, long gone are those days where we thought we might get a soft Brexit. And actually, the government sort of releases um, amendment to the Immigration Act earlier in the year where we will be moving on to a points based immigration system as of the 1st of January 2021. Um, so I think the risk is because of the trade deal dominates so much because that will affect our lives. And actually, the risk is that people are perhaps less aware of the other legislation that will filter through as a result of our exit from Europe. Um, so the big change in terms of the immigration um, sort of points-based system is that there's a committee called the Migration Advisory Committee, and they were tasked with um, having a, 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 consult, uh, a consultation with the broader industry um, or industries in the UK earlier this year to look at the occupations that should go on the shortage of occupation list, which means sort of jobs that perhaps we just couldn't fill domestically with domestic workers. Um, and they released their report last uh, last week. So it was on the 30th of September, I think. And um, so their report sort of highlights recommendations that will then go on to the Home Secretary for her to add or 
to the list of shortage occupations. And despite consultation um, from agriculture and specifically the dairy industry, unfortunately, dairy workers won't be on that list. So what it means now is dairy workers don't fall under the skilled or the highly skilled categories that sort of would normally work on a points-based system, but neither will they be able to trade any points because they're on a shortage list. Rachel, what's the impact of that likely to be on farms uh, in terms of competition for labour and especially on the wider supply chain? I think that's our key message, really, that, you know, one would assume that if they don't employ European labour, that actually they're okay. Well, we need to remember that we're talking about a labour market specific to dairy here. So what will happen is, is we'll have a real simple supply and demand issue. So even if you don't rely on EU labour, um, the likelihood is that there will be a short supply and actually it'll be really competitive. So it's more than likely that um, wages demanded will increase purely and simply on a supply and demand level. Um, there is also a, another note. I know we've already talked about trade deals are falling the effect of sort of currency. But if we do end, uh, if we do end up leaving without a trade deal and we see a weakening of the pound, the situation could be exacerbated for those that decide to stay. So existing European workers. Um, their, of course, their money when they're trying to send it home to, say, Poland, for example, will be worth a lot less if our pound weakens. So I think it's remembered that, that that could sort of add to the situation as well. I think it's also worth remembering that our, our whole supply chain, really, in dairy um, and actually other sort of sectors of ag as well, think about red meat, are quite heavily reliant on EU labour too. So in the dairy context, we've got a lot of um, Eastern European tanker drivers and as well workers in processing plants. So I think remember that it's not, this, these sort of shortages in European labour aren't just limited to dairy, and actually it's much broader competition we're looking at, and it has the potential to disrupt the broader supply chain. Hmm. Henry, um, what's your initial reaction to farm workers not being included in the shortage list? I mean, what would, what would that mean on a practical basis for your business? Well, initially, I was I was shocked. Um, probably, I just presumed that they would be included. Yeah. Um, it probably makes us feel unappreciated and un- undervalued by the government. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to cause a lot of problems for some businesses. Um, we, at one point, we were nearly all Eastern European um, on the dairy, but we've over the last couple of years we've moved away, and now we've got a lot more UK, a lot more younger people on the farm, which brings along a bit of vibrance in itself. But we've still got the hardcore um, of, of the Europeans, um, uh, which we need. Um, we need them to fill in the gaps, need them to fill in the, um, the awkward times so people can have time off when they want it off. Um, so um, that's, you know, that's really what we've, we've done. But I think the people which are over here at the moment, you know, as, as long as they apply for um, pre-settlement status, they should be okay, but I think it will put um, you know, people from Poland, Romania, etc., coming over here um, because they just don't want the hassle. They won't want the hassle full stop. They'll, they'll go somewhere else, mm. especially if the pound is weak. You know, that'll be an, another no-no as well. I mean, it's it's very easy to be pessimistic about um, this, especially from a farming perspective, but um, we always try to put a positive look on things on this show. Um, Ra- Rachel, are there any positives here? Are there any opportunities? I think so. And I think we, we need to remember that we've we've got a really unusual labour market at the moment. And um, 
sadly, with the backdrop of COVID, you know, we're going to see some of the highest unemployment levels we've seen for a long time. Um, I, I think there's some predictions that sort of um, are stating that it would be about 4 million in 2021. So I see that there is an opportunity here, but I think we've got to be much more challenging with ourselves as a sector. Um, we've got to make our jobs more sort of um, more attractive, I think. And actually, COVID on the twist of it has actually made people appreciate a work-life balance a lot more. Um, so I suppose listening to Henry's comments, the fact that perhaps his European workers fill in those bits that perhaps UK workers wouldn't want to do, that is our challenge, isn't it? And how we can break down roles to make them much more attractive and much more perhaps um, human in many ways and, and appreciate that sometimes it might mean that we've got more bodies on our books, but actually perhaps they're doing shorter shifts rather than doing longer shifts. So I think the challenge is that we really look at our labour strategies and how we how we expect our workers to work sometimes. Because let's face it, as farmers ourselves, our expectations are very different to an employee because they have a life beyond the farm. And I think it's remembering that and actually remembering that um, we need to perhaps be a bit more open minded about how we attract labour. Henry, can I just take you back to the, the previous question and, and what Rachel said about the competition for labour? How do you feel about that? Yes, yeah, that there will be. We're all we're all going to be um, fighting over the same people. So um, you know, there's, there's going to be less 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 people to fill the jobs. Um, although that might be different um, over the next twelve months or so. Obviously, with COVID, I think we've got an opportunity now to attract people um, into agriculture. Um, I, I you know I call agriculture slow burner. Really, it's not a quick get rich thing but um it's secure um you know people haven't been furloughed um and you know the jobs have always been there and in some extent it's been a little bit easier than what it was before covid because of slightly extra labor um moving around the roads etc has been less traffic on the road so it's been easier i just think we have to sell ourselves you know as rachel was saying shorter shifts you know don't look at how many people you employ, but how many hours they work. So, you know, in, in essence, employ more people, but still do the same hours, you know, keep them happy um, and work around, you know, every individual person. Everybody has different needs. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses uh, and, and work around that individual person. And if you have got some, you know, Eastern Europeans that, you know, have had pre-settlement status over here, you know, use them if that's what they want to put in the hours to work the early mornings, the late nights, etc so you can keep your uk staff happy and by keeping them happy you you know you might in, it, attract more people into the business for the future yeah i've probably got two questions for you actually henry first of all you know you said that perhaps you've moved to a few more sort of uk sort of labor do you have you ever recruited anyone that hasn't got experience of agriculture or dairy in particular or, or would you contemplate that yeah i'm not a you know, it's all about the person, really, and attitude to the job. Um, sometimes it's, it's better if they come in with a clean sheet and you can train them how you want to train them. So, yes, you know, we have taken people on there. We've, we've, we've got all, we've got quite a large workforce, and I don't like to turn people down. Um, sometimes you have to go and look for the positives, you know, especially if they haven't been working in, in, in dairy or in agriculture. But, you know, sometimes there's something different that they can bring. Um you know, they'll they just look at things slightly differently than someone who's been, you know, brought up with agriculture. They'll look at it more at shifts. We've found 
that um, people who have not come from an agricultural background, that they look at the job more as a job and, you know, they'll want to work shifts more than the job takes X amount of time um, and, and they'll stay until the job's finished. They'll want to start, say, eight in the morning and finish at five at night instead of going on to seven or eight at night. Well, yeah, that, I mean, that's music to my ears, to be honest, because I think as a, as a people team in Kite, we try and encourage our sort of farmers to recruit on attitude, not necessarily on experience, because you can't change attitudes, but actually you can improve experience and training. And I think um, that's probably how we try and support farms and we will be probably doing it more uh, going forward is is exactly what you've just said I mean I, I, I couldn't have said that more perfectly myself to be honest so, thank you well, building on that Rach is is there um going to be a need to upskill the domestic workforce I mean is, is there enough time for this to meet the demand for a start I think there is I think despite unfortunately farm workers coming under that unskilled category which we all know is ludicrous uh-huh. There is, there is training required and skilling, skill, upskilling required, sorry. Um, but I think there is time. I think it's remembering that we, we can do it on farm, that actually we've got amazing workforces already that are highly skilled and can pass on that training. Mm-hmm. But also there's also some other amazing schemes we can tap into. So apprenticeships, I mean, I think they're so underutilised in agriculture. Mm. Um, you know, the, and quite often you can have fully funded training for your staff on an apprenticeship scheme. And I think... Now more than ever, it's an opportunity for people to really look at skills and training and actually trying, and I think trying to create a much more professional workforce in agriculture because that creates um, motivation and actually it encourages retention um, if we sort of create a more professional workforce. Hmm. Rach, listeners might be thinking that what they're, they should actually be doing um, in the light of all this. Um, so based on everything we've been talking about what would you be advising farmers in terms of key actions they could be taking to ensure both short-term and long-term demand for sufficient labour i think top level long term would be look at your labour strategy or if that sounds too fancy create a labour strategy um (laughs) and i think it's having a plan and and it's planning forward um, and and looking at your business more holistically. And I think I'm a big advocate that actually we look at people, not so much at the cost to our business, but the value to our business. And I think that should be really key to any labour strategy. I think in terms of more everyday level, it's things like training we discussed, like simple protocols, having basic protocols in place so people know what they have to do day in, day out. Daily checklists are one of my favourite things, again, and I think all these simple tools can actually help people that are experienced in ag, but also inexperienced in ag. Um, on attracting labour, we've, we've got um, a young, youngish workforce now, um, and we've sort of done that off Facebook. And um, the traditional methods of looking for labour have gone. Um, Facebook has got us a lot of staff. And the more young people you employ, they all talk on Facebook and Instagram and all the rest of it. And they start spreading it around. And if they like the place they work, they will tell their friends. And their friends will want to come and work for you. And we've, we've, we've found that out. And that makes a big difference. You keep, keep a few, few people happy and it will it'll spread out. And you'll get a good name. And that will, you know, that's got to be good for the future of your business. And that's your brand. You've clearly, you, you've got a brand yeah. there and without perhaps knowing it. And I think, I mean, I feel like you're like a people pinup, Henry, to be honest. I mean, it's, this, it, this is, ex, it's exactly what we're encouraging people to do. 
um, like I think I think yeah, you're like our ambassador. I was, didn't, you I was, didn't expect to be I described was, as a uh, pin-up this morning, did you, Henry? <laughs> <laughs> so, Henry, based on everything we've talked about today, what steps do you think you're going to take to, to mitigate any potential impact on your business? Um, well, hopefully we've already put actions in place. Mm. Um, you know, the Eastern Europeans we've got working for us, who are good guys, we've got some good guys. I want to keep them. I don't want to let them go. So I'll make sure that they apply, and I think they've already applied for pre-settlement status. My 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 assistant, hers manager, is um, Polish, and I wouldn't want to lose him. Um, also, you know, just just keep uh, employing you know UK people or people when they come along, and just take the pressure and just make the environment better for people who are working on the farm, so they're not stressed and not working the hours. Uh, as I said, I, you know, when a good person comes along, I'd never like to let them go. And, um, you know, with the size of unit, you know, we can take a person on and just drop people's hours back a bit. And they're not worried about losing a couple of hours. In fact, you know, they, they, they'd rather, you know, they, they could take the time off weekends, evenings, mornings, etc., to be with the family. So just make the environment better. And I think we have to be more professional. Um, businesses have to look, be more professional about the way they employ people, health and safety um and all the rest of it really okay can i just chip in really i think i think what you're saying there henry is something that, that we are really starting to talk about now and, and it's about farms almost seeing themselves as a brand and i think i know again that sounds a bit fancy a bit like labor strategy but but why not we shouldn't be with businesses and actually when you sort of get your brand and your brand values right that means you're attractive to not only consumers which we need to remember are, are key here but also employees and i think by having conditions right, you know, having a clean toilet. I mean, it sounds ridiculous, but it's such Billy basic and it's so important to staff and, and sort of making your, your farm sort of attractive. You know, have you got somewhere they can change? How can they shower before they go home? All these things, I think, are things that we're going to have to really focus on going forward. Well, that's all we have time for today. But a big thank you to our guests today, Rachel Madeley-Davis, Henry Lewis, and of course, Chris Walkland. Yeah, thanks also to you for listening. We hope that you found this episode useful. If you have, we'd love it if you could leave us a review on whatever platform you're using or just give the podcast a shout out on social media. Uh, we'll look forward to you joining us again next week. But for now, have a great weekend and it's goodbye from all of us here.